Welcome to the Charity Network News Podcast, inspiring you to make the world a better place. Our host is Lex Lumiere, an award-winning therapeutic artist whose family legacy includes over a hundred years of art exhibits and providing artwork for international non-profit fundraisers. In our show, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from philanthropy leaders or creative souls, as well as news and insights to help you make a positive impact in your community. Now let's jump into your daily dose of juice. Please join us in creating excellence. Good morning, my name is Lex Lumere. I'm with the United States Department of Arts and Culture as a citizen artist for the 2021 State of the Union Poetic Address. And this morning I have Miss Dorothy Gibbons with me of The Rose. She is an amazing philanthropist and a leader for uh, this organization. And I just wanna welcome her this morning. Good morning, nice to see you. Good morning, it's great to be here. Great to be with you. So can you tell me a little bit about the services for The Rose? and what you do. The Rose is a, a nonprofit breast cancer organization that provides direct services. And that means what we do is provide mammograms and ultrasounds and biopsies. And our focus is the uninsured. You know, breast cancer is a devastating disease. It is very difficult to go through, but for our uninsured population, there aren't many resources. And that's what the Rose is all about. So you reach out to like lower income communities and I know that you have mobile, that you've gone mobile, your little mobile mammogram service yes. is amazing. <clears throat> we have four coaches now, these you huge really? 45 foot coaches, self-contained, and they are now covering 41 counties in wow. Texas. So many, yes, that's a very, we're very proud of that program. Yeah, that's amazing. You've grown tremendously. Uh -huh. So, so in terms of fundraising, what do you need to support your organization for like your mobile services and just to stay afloat for a year? You know, we have to raise four and a half million dollars every year to do the services that we do. Now, we also serve the insured population and we use the revenue from that insured group to help offset some of the cost of the uninsured. But you have to remember our uninsured women are coming in with a problem. They're not coming in just asking for screening. And so when you're having to do biopsies and then when you're having to find ways to get them into treatment, that's, that's where it's very costly. But of course, there's never any way to put a value on the cost of a life, especially someone's mother or sister or coworker. You know, that's what we're trying to do. We don't want any woman to have to die because she couldn't afford the cost of a mammogram. It's that mm -hmm. simple. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I was sharing with you, like my own grandmother had breast cancer when I was 15, but that was way before they had the services of today. Like, oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It was a, it was a long time ago. She did, she didn't survive her treatments, but you know, I'm a great, I love supporting y'all's you know, organizations and your cause and October is a great month to bring awareness to people. Oh yeah. You know, I appreciate it. That you were here you know, and that you've been serving the community for how many years now since? 35. Wow. So since about 1986? Yes. That's awesome. So can you tell me how many women you'll service a year annually? 
in a good year, you know, in a pre-COVID year, we saw about 40,000 women a year. And 7,000 of those were totally uninsured. Another three, 4,000 were uninsured, but did not meet the financial criteria. So you still have to meet a financial criteria. So for those women, we have a cash discounted program. So that's, that's, about, that's about our mix. Hmm. Okay. So how has COVID affected, you know, the Rose? <clears throat> well, you know, in, in many ways, our, our uh, patients are incredibly uh, persistent and loyal and, you know, they, they will wait for services. But in this environment, you know, where we used to could have 20 people in a waiting room, we have four. You know, mm. you just can't, you can't have people next to each other like we used to. We have, we had a waiting room and a sub waiting room. And so now we've had to become very creative about, about our appointments, how long they can, we need between them for cleaning and, you know, all of those things. The year that uh, the city shut down, we shut down also. We were able to maintain our workforce and we were able to keep everybody paid. But, you know, I think the one thing that we're not realizing is this has gone on a long time. And, and we are going to see so many women have delayed their service. Right. And that's even with us. And I'm, I have a prediction that within another year, we're going to see the, the number of breast cancers diagnosed shoot up and they're going to be much more advanced. You know, mm-hmm. it's very hard to go into a screening and many women were, were concerned about going into a hospital. Now the Rose is freestanding. So that's one of our advantages, but there were too many other things to take care of this last year, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as women are, you know, tend to do, we put ourselves last and then until we have a problem. So it's, uh, it's impacted the number of women we can serve, can serve. And on our mobile units, it meant that we had to go out a hundred times more to serve the same number of women. Okay. You know, those mobile units are incredibly costly, Mm -hmm. but it, that is our true mission. That lets us do what we want to do. You know, that means we're taking mammograms to the people who need us the most. And it's, it's a, a, a great service and, you know, it makes it just more convenient for women. Mm-hmm. So if I'm an insured woman and I go get a mammogram with the Rose, um, how do y'all pay that forward? That is, we use that as part of our base, you know, Remember, as a nonprofit, there's many things like, you know, we get grants for equipment and things like that. But having that cash flow is so important for any nonprofit, any business. So, right. you know, having that, we, we couldn't do as many women without that insured base. Three insured women allow us to screen one uninsured. Now, that's just screening. That's one mammogram. But like I said, women that are uninsured often come to us, more likely come to us after they've found a lump. So those women are gonna need the ultrasounds and the biopsies and, and all of those things covered. And so that's where our, our main cost, you know, our main need is, that's where the cost is. Well, and I'm sure the gas on those vehicles is, is something else as well. You know, oh. Texas is a big state. I don't think people realize how big Texas is. Oh no. <laughs> Right. And, you know, when we try to explain, I mean, the area we serve is bigger than many states. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, we travel three and a half, four hours a, a trip. 
And the thing about we're under all the guidelines, like any driver, you know, commercial driver is they can only drive so long. They can only, you know, be out there so long. The generators have to be, you know, serviced every few, every so many hours. So, yeah, it's a it's a whole different. It's like we entered a whole different world with this. Mm-hmm. No kidding. So can you tell me a little bit, like as a woman, if you, do you know any of the symptoms that a woman might have if she thinks she might need to go in to get a mammogram or is there like ever so many years that you come in? Right. You know, we strongly believe every woman should still start her mammogram at 40. And we believe having it every year makes more sense than anything else. There's too many studies out there that show the only reason that we've had a 40% decline and mortality rate from breast cancer is because of mammograms. Now that also involves awareness and it also involves the you know advances in treatment, but getting it early, finding that cancer early is the key. You don't wanna be afraid of finding cancer, but you sure don't wanna find it late. So symptom wise, any kind of change in your breast needs to give you pause. We need to be doing our self exams routinely you know, once a month, do it on the the day of your birthday every month. And when you notice a change, or you just even feel like something's different. You know, we're great believers in women having a a very astute intuition. And if you go, something's just not right. You know, anytime we get a call from a woman that says that all of our antennae go up, it's like, okay, she knows, she knows her body, something isn't right, she needs to come in. But if you find a lump that doesn't go away with a period, if you find uh, any kind of change in the skin, any kind of redness, and, and, you know, most of our breasts are mirror images. You know, if you find something on one side, it ought to be on the other side. (laughs) But there's, there's just no way until you do a full diagnostic workup that you will know whether that's something to be concerned about or, you know, it's just a benign condition. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, the, the thing about mammograms is it, it's such a uh, small amount of time. You know, sometimes people talk about, oh, it hurts. Well, breast cancer hurts a lot more. <laughs> yeah, not just you, it hurts your family too. Oh my gosh. You know, the big, just besides all of the treatment and the trauma of going through all this, Imagine if you're a, a, a two-person family that's both bringing in income and suddenly one of those people cannot work. Think about if they're having to be lose hours because they're having to go to treatment. You know, that's the other, the hidden financial costs that we forget about often. And mm-hmm. there is nothing inexpensive about going through breast cancer treatment, nothing. So, you know, that's the other part when we have an uninsured woman who is diagnosed our patient navigators are able to get them into different programs so that they don't have those out-of-pocket expenses for chemotherapy or surgery or radiation. And, and they stay with that woman. You know, a lot of anybody who has a disease could use a patient navigator. You enter the medical world that you're not used to, and it's like a foreign language. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't even understand half the things they're wanting you to do. So that's, that's one of the things that we, feel most strongly about. And one of the uh, values that we offer women is that we're going to be there for her through that whole treatment process. Yeah. You're like the, you're like the friend, the friend when you really need one, you know, which is great about your organization. 
Thank so you. tell me a little bit about what what created the Rose. Like, how was it founded? Well, in the mid 80s in Houston, that was a time of the oil bust. More people were losing jobs, more homes were foreclosed upon than any other time in our history. And so Dr. Malillo had come to the hospital that I worked at. I was a marketing and PR person. And she was the first female we had as a doctor at that hospital. I mean, we're talking the 80s now. And so she just kind of took the whole community by storm. She, she really had a passion for breast cancer. Mammography was just starting at that time, really getting its, you know, foothold. And, and so she wanted to go out in the community and talk about the importance of a mammogram. Well, at that point, screening mammograms weren't even covered by insurance. If you had insurance, if you were lucky enough to have it. And so it, as she talked more, as she got out in the community, more women started knowing that's who you needed to go to if you had a breast problem. But it, invariably, we had women coming to us with very late stage cancer. We had women coming to us with cancers that had engulfed the entire breast. Some of those cancers had erupted through the skin. And it was always the same story. Didn't know there was anyone to go to, no money, no insurance, always the same. And so we kept telling each other, there's gotta be a better way. But it wasn't until a very special lady came into our lives, Rose Kushner, who uh, was a journalist for the Baltimore Sun. And she had, uh, when she found the lump in her breast, her doctors had said, oh, don't worry about it. It's not anything. We're just gonna do a biopsy. And if it is cancer, we'll go ahead and do your mastectomy. We'll, we'll tell Harvey, your husband, and go ahead and do your mastectomy. And Rose, being Rose, said, you're not gonna do that. This is my breast. I'm gonna make that decision. And I remember 1980s, it took her 16 doctors before she found someone who would let her wake up and make that decision. That, that put Rose on such an advocacy trail. I mean, she, she was determined that women knew what was going on during this time. I cannot tell you the number of women that would come to Dr. Malolo who years ago had had a mastectomy and never knew that they were gonna have it. Can you imagine waking up and a part of your body's gone? So wow. we, we met Rose and we were going on and on about you know, all the wonderful things Dr. Malolo was doing in her educational you know, efforts. <clears throat> and I may not have mentioned that Rose had quite a mouth on her. You know, she, she would make even the toughest guy blush. But she kind of leaned into Dixie and she said, well, Dixie, what are you doing after you do all that education? I mean, what are you doing with those women? And so Dixie went off on another thing about, oh my gosh, well, that's the problem. We can't find anyone to help take care of them. You know, no, every, mammograms are so expensive and, you know, women don't have this money. And so Rose leaned into her again and said, Dixie, why don't you quit your pissing and moaning and get off your, we use Duff in public, but get off your Duff and go start a nonprofit. I, I don't know what we expected Rose to do. You know, I look back now, I guess we thought she was going to say, oh, what good little girls, you're out there spreading the news, you know. <laughs> but we kind of came back to Houston. Ne neither one of us were thinking nonprofit. And uh, we came back and Rose was not going to let it drop. Every Friday she called me. 
every Friday, she'd call me in the afternoon and say, well, what did you do this week of a nonprofit? Have you applied yet? What did you do? You know, and then she was such an advocate in Congress. And she said, what congressperson have you called to get this bill through to have screening mammograms covered? I said, I don't even know Congress people. I mean, you know, this was not my world. Mm-hmm. But she kept at us until finally I, I filled out the application. We got our nonprofit status. And uh, the, the thing was, my maiden name was Rose. Dixie's married name was Rose. And we had met Rose Kushner. So what were we going to call this place? You know? <laughs> so I wrote Rose. Remember, this is before emails. I wrote her a, a letter and said, oh, Rose, we finally got our nonprofit And we've decided to name it The Rose as a living tribute to you. Mm -hmm. She picked up the phone, called me and said, what the hell do I need a living tribute for? I went, (laughs) this woman. But we learned later because she did have a reoccurrence and she did die before she got to see The Rose. And her husband told us many years later that she always found a way to mention that there was a place in Houston named the Rose after her. And so <clears throat> we know she was proud of us. You know, everybody needs a Rose in their life. Everybody needs somebody to encourage you and push you on. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially when you're dealing with illness, any illness that's serious, mm-hmm. uh, that it can be very challenging just, you know, emotionally, mentally, not just physically. You know, it's that whole package. So to have friends and real friends, you know, be there for you and to to know that, like, I believe in synchronicity, like there's just certain times you're at the right place at the right time. And then look at this beautiful friendship that came out of your, you know, that your organization came out of this beautiful friendship. Oh, and that's amazing. You know, absolutely amazing. And I think it brings such an interesting point, especially since we're dealing with the vaccines is she said that she wanted the choice to control her body. Ah, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that she went through 16 doctors to be able to have that right to decide what she was going to do with her own breast. You know, like you said, at one point you were just waking up, you know, Mm -hmm. with the breast missing, which has to be like mortifying in a way, you know, that part of my body. And now you have the vaccines, which are one piece, but the, then you have the mandates. And I always wonder, like, at what point um, does that overstep the boundary of your health freedom and your importance of health freedom and freedom of choice in your health care? So no, I, I did not hear all of that. Say that again. So like you're, you're in terms of your health care, the freedom of choice to choose. You know, I think that's the beauty of America is that we have the ability to choose just like Rose wanted to choose whether or not someone was going to do a mastectomy on her breast. I think that people have that same right in terms of all their health. Yes. And, but we also need to pay attention to science. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if women had said, oh, I'm never going to have a mammogram because it hurts and hadn't got into the habit and the practice of doing that and following the physician's recommendations, then we would have not done anything with mortality. I mean, right. you know, we're so fortunate that we we have that the resource of science and that we have studies. And, you know, that's that's one of the issues in our world is that we don't have enough clinical studies on many of our populations, especially our, our Hispanic population. Blacks population, we have more, but we're start, starting to see a real change in the breast cancers in Hispanic women in that they're getting them earlier. 
they're uh, very aggressive. They're even sometimes triple negative, which is rare in, in uh, that population. So I, I think that, you know, we're so fortunate to have all this, but at the same time, we also have to be responsible for our own selves. Right, absolutely, you know. So how has your donor base been during COVID? Has it affected you significantly? They, we've, we've had some amazing gifts during, during last year. Um, and, you know, we, we realize that many people are past the COVID emergency, but it's not over yet. So we continue to be grateful for all of the fundraising that's going on and, and the folks that are so generous to us. Uh, the, what we've learned during this last year is people can be very creative. You know, where it used to be, oh, we had to do it in person. I, I cannot even begin to tell you all the creative ways people have found to raise money for us. And we, you know, we're just so grateful. Are there any other types of volunteering that you need? Any other services that you need that people could like step up and help you with? You know, uh, pre-COVID, we, we would have some in-house volunteers. Now we don't just because of the social distancing. But anytime that someone is our ambassador, you never know who it is you're going to be talking to that might need our services. You know, we assume everybody has what, you know, insurance it, in your own little group. You just never know. So when we started back doing some limited health fairs, you know, that was a, a place that we used a lot of volunteers. Come out and help us on a Saturday, you know, come and help us with an event. So, um, you know, have your mammogram, donate outright, or come and help us with some events. And all of those are great ways to volunteer. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your journey. My journey? Yes, your journey to the Rose. Well, it's not, it's not all that interesting, except I guess that um, my, my mother died in a charity hospital when I was 21 years old. Mm. And I, I remember thinking, this was a very long time ago, believe me. I remember thinking then that what would have been different for her if she'd had insurance? So, you know, I look back and think, now, why would I have even been thinking that way? But I think from a early, very early age, I learned that, you know, having those resources is incredibly important. And I think I also learned because I, I had to take over the care of my sister and brother. I think I learned that, you know, when the mother's gone, because my father had left a long time before that. But when the mother's gone, the family's structure, the fabric of our family is not totally destroyed, but certainly, certainly messed up. And uh, I also learned from all of that, that, you know, she knew something was wrong. She just didn't go and have it checked. And mm -hmm. so by the time it became a real issue, it was too late. So, you know, all of those things, even though I didn't, I never even thought about being in the breast cancer world or in a nonprofit world or any of that. I think, I think inside at a very deep level, that's been part of my sustaining uh, energy or, you know, drive. 
it's like every time I see one of our uninsured women who is terrified, I see that look that was in my mother's eyes when she was on her deathbed. Mm. So, you know, the, the thing, the thing that a lot of people forget is anyone can be in a bad spot. Anyone can find themselves without insurance. I mean, a divorce and you depending on a husband's insurance, nah, you know, and now, even with the, the options we have for insurance, the other thing that COVID has created is this whole new population of newly uninsured people who one time had insurance, never thought about it, but now they don't. And they really don't know anything about how to ask for help. You know, it's just foreign. So that's, that's another thing that, that we, as a society, you know, could make all of this a lot easier on folks. There is no prejudice like the prejudice to poverty, none. Right. And, and there's such a divide in our country of mm. the haves and the have nots. And you know, there, I don't even think there's a middle road anymore. So until we address that straight on, we're, we're gonna always have so many issues that are fixable, but don't get fixed. Yeah, like access to affordable health care. You know, I remember my grandmother telling me that, you know, she could go in to see the doctor and they would pay like $150 just for their physical. And she said, and then anything over that was, was to your insurance and stuff. She said, but there became an issue with the insurers always charging double. And then it would take them like 90 days to pay off the doctor. And, you know, she said, and then everything changed, the whole system changed. Oh yeah, and it made it much more difficult for people in the community to get healthcare. Oh yeah, it's healthcare is very complex, very convoluted, and very difficult to get around, navigate. Very. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting about that is uh, when I was in, I was in my car accident the morning of uh, after Thanksgiving of 2015. I've been in a court case ever since, um, but I spent like seven months in rehabilitation. And speaking of insurance, I had just started a new job on a Monday and I got hit head on Friday. The man totaled three cars, including his own. And I'm still battling with the insurance companies to have them reimburse my medical because the offers that they put on the table don't even cover my medical bills. Oh, no. Right. And so when you just start with a company, you know, you're not in, there's no insurance unless you're there for 90 days. And so luckily, I mean, I have Cigna now. I have like a my hospital coverage and stuff, but it is such an interesting battle to try to get that figure resolved, you know, and, and the piece of it is, is, is I was telling them, you know, I can't imagine because I'm, you know, I'm educated. I went to school. I cannot imagine being someone who is extremely impoverished or someone who couldn't speak English going through the process that I have gone through, not just with the medical piece of it and the recovery, but also the judicial process of it and how long and strenuous it has been. Oh yeah. And I think I think justice is, is the wrong word to use in that group with that group. Right. I, I know it is it is very uh, it is very, very difficult. And you know in, in our world so many women we used to have the strongest largest Hispanic support group. And when COVID came, we thought, okay, we'll just move to Zoom. We'll keep all our ladies together, you know, and move to Zoom. 
-hmm. Well, what we discovered was while everybody may have a phone, everybody may not have a smartphone and everybody may not have a phone that has enough data to be able to hold something like a Zoom program. You know, it's those little things that we don't even think about it, that if you don't have it, you can't use it. All right. the things that we go, well, why didn't they just do this? They don't, didn't even know how to. And so, you know, we've still stayed in touch with our ladies, but it's not at all like being able to pull together in a group. So, you know, and that and and that's just a little tiny example of when you don't know what you don't know, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to get through it. Well, and even if they understand the technology, because not everyone is good with the technology. Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes it can be complicated and glitchy and, you know, it doesn't always work 110%, but yeah, absolutely. The communication is imperative, you know, and not everyone has Facebook or Facebook messenger or any of those oh, things. No. And I think when they make the technology, sometimes they make it too difficult, you know, because it needs to be child-friendly in my opinion. Like if a kid could use it, everybody could use it. And, you know, the other thing COVID pointed out is how many families do not have computers at home how many children could not access you know uh their education online it there there's been some true gifts of this pandemic i mean we mm -hmm. cannot deny that we're a lot more aware of things than we used to be and we also have learned how to be selective with our time with who we're with with our spending no, I, I think in many ways, that's the gift of this time. Mm -hmm. I think too, and in, in time with family. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. some people at this point are probably like, I've spent so much time with family. You, know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want a little bit of a break, but, you know, just the beauty of really your time. What are you going to do with it? And are you doing and are you servicing the community? And are you servicing in service of your own talent and your own gifts? And I think the beauty of what the Rose has created, I mean, genuinely, since you've been in existence, you save many, many lives of women that probably would have never made it if it weren't for your services. Yeah, we, we have. Your blessing and a gift. And I, I think that friendship was a blessing and a gift. When you really look at it in retrospect, you're like, wow, the fact that you all met. And I often say this, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, how did you meet? Because if you think of all the factors that come into play for your, you're just your existence, you know, mm -hmm. like how did your parents even meet, you know, that, I mean, there's so many variables in that and you don't understand it as much when you're young until you become a woman yourself or you grow up and you go, wow, there's a lot of variables in this for me to even be here. <laughs> oh, right. Right. But I think that, you know, your mom, I mean, she, I'm sure looking down from heaven is definitely proud of you. Yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, and, and you always, uh, you always wonder what, what life would have been like, but I wouldn't trade any part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, the one, the one thing that I, I am surprised is how fast it went by. You know, we, we think we've got all the time in the world and then suddenly here we are 35 years later, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just, Time is, is so precious. Absolutely. And like, what are you going to do with the time? Are you going to stop putting off things that you've always wanted to do? You know, stop hesitating. And, and I think you reassess in this time period mm -hmm. where we're going forward from here. 
But you know, the one, the blessing of the rose for me is it is something I love to do. I don't get up and go, oh, I got to go to work. I get up and go, I get to go to work, you know, and it's, uh, it's because it's not like work. And, and one of the things I hear from my employees and from new employees is we have stayed mission focused. Now, you know, we're not the biggest around and, and we don't have places everywhere, but we've stayed mission focused. We've done what we, we say we're going to do. And, and there's just an a incredible feeling of accomplishment. I'm, I don't, can't find another word, but, you know, like I'm where I belong, doing what I need to do. And I think very few people find that even in their, in their work. I think COVID showed a lot of people that they didn't have that and now they want it. So, um, gosh, can you imagine waiting all your life to do something and then your life is over? That, oh, that is terrible. Right, and you're, here you are saving lives. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, have the arts played a role in any aspect of your life or in the rows, like music? Um, has it helped keep you connected during this time? You know, for me, the arts are always important. Uh, the one thing about beautiful things is they help you to deal with the ugly things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that anytime that I'm feeling a little down or whatever, if I can see a beautiful piece of artwork, if I can hear a beautiful piece of music, and we use a lot of that when we were doing our mind, body, spirit classes, used a lot of that. It, there's, there's too many, too many tangible research studies that show us that when our mind is, is awakened and, and refreshed, then all of us can be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, there's a great study that uh, uh, was done by the NIH, and it had to do with, and I'll send it to you, but it had to do basically with being on stage having an MRI uh, unit going in the background and this, this opera singer singing and you're watching her brain light up under the MRI. Mm-hmm. Then they said, all right, we don't want you to actually sing. We want you to imagine you're singing. And it lit up even more. And it's like, whoa, if, if something as simple as singing a song could do that to your brain, imagine how much better we would feel. Mm-hmm. You know, the stress we, we don't even, we can't even identify all the stresses that we have. So the arts has to stay alive or we won't. Mm-hmm. Well, and the beauty of vis- visualization in the arts, because I always think about Olympic athletes who have to visualize themselves winning before they've ever won the race. And that's part of their training, you know, and she's lighting up because she's doing something she loves. And the arts is, you're right, it absolutely brings more beauty into the world, you know, and so that we can help people find hope, even in a hopeless situation. So true. So my name is Lex Lemaire. I'm with the United States Department of Arts and Culture as a citizen artist. And I am here today with this Miss Dorothy Gibbons of the Rose. And today she is going to read to you her 2021 Poetic Address to the Nation. All right, here we go. 
No cure upon the horizon sets. The cancer wears all tissue down until it no longer can resist. And still we hope a solution is found. TB, polio, measles, and all the poxes among the diseases we no longer fear, healthier people mainly due to vaccines, health systems, and better care. Will breast cancer be added to this list a hundred years from now? Who can say? But for the lives of our great, great granddaughters, one can only hope and pray. That's beautiful. You know, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being of service to the community. Oh, thank you for helping us spread the word. And oh, this definitely. was such an exciting project. Fun to be part of it. Right? The World Series. You can't get better than that. No. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Tori. you. Thanks for listening to Charity Network News with Lex Lumiere. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out online or please leave a review. Join us again next week. Until then, focus on creating solutions and making a positive impact in the world with your presence. Be kind, volunteer, pay it forward and keep shining your love light.